Grow your IT career with online IT training from Full Stack Journey sponsor, IT Pro TV. Just for you listening, there is a special offer, a seven-day free trial and discount of 30% off all plans. Visit itpro.tv slash full for seven days free and 30% off. Use promo code full at checkout. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the Full Stack Journey podcast, where we talk about the ongoing evolution of the IT professional. My name is Scott. I'm your host here on the Full Stack Journey. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the podcast. My goal today with my guest is, as always, to help equip and prepare listeners for their journey of learning across the full stack of technologies that are present in today's data centers and cloud environments. Uh, today, we're, we're going to be talking about something that's uh, actually very applicable um, and very related to the name of the podcast, uh, talking about multiple layers and multiple pieces of the stack of technology. And um, joining me today, I have uh, David Klee, and uh, we're going to talk about um, sort of the, some of the things he's learned in his own experience. So David, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Cool. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, my pleasure, and I really appreciate that. Um, why don't you just take a minute, uh, David, and uh, just share a little bit about your background and you know, sort of introduce yourself to the listeners. Absolutely. Yeah. My name is David Klee. I am the founder of Heraflux Technologies, a, a niche consulting company you may have never heard of. I am lucky enough to be a VMware V expert and a Microsoft Data Platform MVP. We're one of the few that really bridge both the silos there. Uh, I've got a long history of advanced SQL Server virtualization on starting with VMware and then a lot of other platforms after that moving into public cloud. Um, I actually virtualized my first copy of SQL Server in November of 1999. And I'm not that old. I'm just a nerd. <laughs> uh, I have a lot of fun with this stuff. You know, I, I joke with people that I just travel around the world, not so much lately, but play with big toys every day. And we deal with some of the biggest, most aggressive database servers on the planet. Awesome. Thanks for that. Um, is there, uh, we'll give you a chance again later on in the show, but is there a, uh, you know, a Twitter handle or a blog URL you'd like to share with the listeners? Absolutely. Yeah. Twitter handle. I'm kind of a geek. So my Twitter handle is Klee Geek. <laughs> uh, and uh, I've got a home blog over at davidklee.net. Okay, perfect. Great. Thanks. So let's dig in here. Um, you know, you and I started talking a little while back. I was uh, sort of casting out um, inquiries for guests and we were, this was for the work for home podcast that I did recently. And uh, as we started chatting and you were telling me a little about your situation, I was like, you know, this is really interesting. Here's a Here's a guy who has specialized in SQL Server, continues to specialize in SQL Server, but has found that it's necessary to focus on more than just the core focus area, right? I mean, you're not just a DBA, although you are a DBA. Um, I think that's fair to say. Uh, but it's also all these other things as well. And so why don't we start our discussion just first talking about a topic that may engender some uh, quasi-religious debates, but that is the the... <laughs> The contrast between specialist and generalist. Um, you know, what what are your initial thoughts there? And then we can we can kind of unpack uh, from there. Oh, this one's fantastic. <laughs> My take on it: I've been a career DBA since I was twenty two, uh, but. I was a sysadmin before that. I was actually the network admin at my high school. Uh, I've been dealing with server equipment, uh, backups, things like that since, quite honestly, I was in middle school. I'm kind of weird like that. The most fun part 
this this argument between specialists and generalists. I love to say you can be both. And I feel like if you're a generalist, but you specialize in one or more than one area in a very deep manner, the act of being the generalist as a background and as an interest and a hobby and part of the job, it makes you better at being the specialist because not only are you able to specialize in X or X, Y, and Z, but you're able to understand the bigger picture and how all these different pieces relate and compete or conflict or contradict or complement what you're really trying to focus in on. You know, my, my, my background with SQL Server, and I was a sysadmin for quite a while and kind of stumbled into the database side sort of by accident and found out I really enjoyed it. Um, but I always kept my hands dirty with the infrastructure side. And as a career DBA and performance tuner in HADR, uh, I spend a lot of time dealing with the infrastructure underneath because, you know, I, I tend to make a lot of car analogies. If you're the specialist on an engine in a car, you can tune the engine all day long. But if you've got flat tires, you're not really going anywhere fast. So to be able to comprehend how the pieces relate to what you're really trying to focus in on make you an incredibly valuable specialist. And if you can focus on deep, more than one area, and how they come together, but still understand the bigger picture, you, know, you, can, you can go anywhere. You can, you can fix anything, honestly. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's pretty accurate. It, it brings up a couple of things that I've discussed in the past. I think, um, but one thing that comes to mind most most immediately is sort of the the controversy, if you will, right after I launched the podcast um, and was talking about you know this idea of needing to be familiar with more than one area. And you know, I initially talked about sort of like becoming a full stack engineer. And after a while, like I, I realized I've talked to a bunch of different people. Like it's I don't know that's I don't know if I want to say it's a pipe dream. It might be an aspirational goal, but I don't know if we can ever actually achieve it. But uh, as I dug into it more, I talked with more and more guests and, and had more and more shows. It became sort of evident to me that it was more like this idea of, you know, there's the um, the I-shaped skills, you know, where you're really deep in one area. There's the T-shaped skills where you're really deep in one area and have some broad knowledge as others. And then there was that pie-shaped skill where you have, you know, maybe two you know, really deep areas and one is kind of forward leading into the next area, right? As well as a broad complement of other skills. And it kind of sounds like, you know, from, from your experience and let me know if you agree or disagree that, you know, you're leaning more towards that T or pie-shaped sort of model, if you will, where you have a couple of core areas where you're really, really focused and then you're trying to be reasonably competent at a bunch of other sort of related or, or maybe we call them adjacent areas. Exactly, exactly. The areas that I really go deep on, it's physical compute and the virtualization layer and how they interact, plus the database side. And we'll give you an example of this so you can see how these come together. Uh, this was literally just this past Friday. Customer called up, SQL Server wanted a health check. It was running a little sluggish. <clears throat> so get in. It's a 16-core SQL Server standard edition machine with 128 gigs of virtual memory. No problem. You know, It's a normal, good, solid machine started taking a look at it, and for whatever reason, Windows was only seeing eight cores. The CPU profile never dropped below 60% busy. What is going on? Took a look at the SQL Server layer, and SQL Server had eight CPU schedulers, should have had 16, but only had eight, and four of them were offline. It's like, what is going on? <clears throat> Went and did a really good look at it. The virtualization layer had been misconfigured. Somebody had configured it for eight virtual sockets 
each with two cores. The Windows layer, because of the version of Windows it was running, was only able to see half the cores because of the socket count. The SQL Server layer was then doing the exact same thing from an artificial license limitation with SQL Server Standard Edition. So Windows was given 16 by the hypervisor, only able to use 8. SQL Server was only able to use 4. The four cores that SQL Server was using were just off the charts. They also had two full cores busy with just context switching. So the act of understanding these different areas is awesome. I don't go too deep with the networking, and I've got a couple of friends that are really good on security and you know that sort of thing. But with the way these layers line up, literally 45 seconds on Friday night, shut the machine down, change the VNUMA architecture, turn it on. We cut the cores in half anyway because they didn't need them. Turn the machine on with one virtual socket, eight virtual cores, SQL Server came up immediately, CPU time dropped to 4%, where it was never below 60. Yeah, it's impressive. And, and you know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, it, it required knowledge not only of the operating system, uh, but also you know, the, the SQL Server layer, the database itself, as well as the virtualization layer, and some you know, understanding of you know, hardware, whether it be physical or virtual, in order to solve that. So you, you, ha you really had to dip into all those adjacent areas in order to identify you know, what can we do to fix this. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, if you just know really that stack, not even the periphery around it, you can you can do a lot of good with it. So it sounds like and I don't necessarily disagree, by the way, it sounds like, you know, as IT professionals and as we kind of settle in or find that that sweet spot where we we feel like, oh, I've got some expertise in this area and I can do really well. And, you know, it, it kind of matches my mindset or, you know, desire where I want to go, whatever that is that we really need to, to focus not only on just that one area, um, although we should focus on that one area, but not just that one area, but also we need to identify sort of these adjacent areas, these things that are you know, right next to that core area. And so I'm wondering from your perspective, how does a listener who's you know, listening to the show and saying, hey, I'm a, you know, I'm a networking person. How do I identify those adjacent areas that are next to my specialty, right? Um, what, what are your thoughts there? Well, let's just take networking. And again, I'm not the best networker out there, but okay, everything's got to communicate. So is it a VM? Is it physical? Okay, what, what settings on the switch, just core physical networking, what will give me the best possible performance? Okay, now stretch that. Look at the endpoints. So let's just say physical servers. Are there any complementary settings on the network adapters that would contribute to faster networking? Okay, now take a look at the Windows layer. What settings inside Windows will complement what I just changed on the physical layer to get better throughput? Okay, is there anything in the application that can do this? And the answer on every one of these is yes, 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 and yes. So now, how far deep do you want to go with this? Because if you can successfully tune even just a networking stream between two communication endpoints, you've now become much more in demand and much more successful at tuning, quote, the network because you've gotten, you've gotten the full coverage there. Right. Okay. So let's, let's think about this for a minute and let's, let's see if we can't come up with some, some real recommendations for, for listeners. Because one of the things that I'm, I guess you could say, maniacal about with the show is trying to make sure that every, in every episode we offer our listeners something you know, practical and actionable that they can take away, right? Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, 
for our networking professionals out there who are listening to the show. And we will probably have quite a few of those because since we are part of packet pushers, you know, that naturally plays into that audience. It sounds like, okay, you know, yeah, they need to have a, a, a focus and, and, a, and a mastery, if you will, of core networking concepts. You know, you need to know protocols and, you know, switching, switching hardware and, you know, routing protocols and blah, blah, blah. But you, you also need to be able to step up, I guess it sounds like maybe two layers in the stack, um, at least. And that first layer would be virtualization because you're going to find that to be extremely prevalent in pretty much everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you're in a private data center or whether if you're in the public cloud, which is built on the back of virtualization. Um, and then you need to step up one more layer into the operating system um, to at least in order to be able to at least understand how does this particular operating system interact with the network? What does the network stack look like? How do I configure the network stack? So you don't necessarily need to say, be an expert in Linux, for example, which has, you know, a lot of different aspects to it, but you should be really pretty familiar with the Linux networking stack, as well as the networking stack of your chosen hypervisor, whether that be vSphere, KVM or whatever. And then obviously your core networking skill. Does that sound like a reasonable sort of extrapolation if we were talking to a networking professional. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, because it's it, it's kind of like saying you've got a straw. A straw is useless until you have liquid in it. So what is actually traversing this, and how do the endpoints actually manage this? The same thing with SQL Server. You know, just, just from a, a raw database perspective, the database communication packet is a 4K byte. So if you look at what's traversing the network, standard networking packet size, you've now sent three packets for every single command at a minimum and what's happening there. Can I tune that? Can I make this better? But you have to understand how the physical networking works, how the virtualization layer works, and what the application is trying to do with it. So if you can, if you can say, you know, I'm a networking specialist, but now I can tune the network for high-performance transactional databases – you get better, you get better and better and better, and you can apply this to everything. Right. Okay. So let's walk through this again. Um, let's say, you know, and, and because of my background, you and I were chatting briefly before we started the recording the podcast and uh, you were mentioning having you know, read the books that I wrote back in the day on vSphere. And so mm -hmm. I, a lot of my audience is, you know, naturally VMware centric. Um, so let's say we have a listener out there who is, a, you know, they're a virtualization admin, they're a vSphere admin. Uh, they're managing, you know, the vSphere infrastructure um, and, and may or may not, you know, have some responsibility over out, you know, operating systems and so on and so forth. It just depends on a lot of different things as we well know. What, what are the sort of adjacent areas for a virtualization admin she or he should look at, uh, in order to sort of bolster the skills in their core area, which is managing that virtualization platform in your, in your opinion? Yeah, in my opinion, it's it's related to performance. It's related to the mastery of the the capacity of the environment, uh, understanding multipathing, understanding a link aggregation, uh, you know, throughput patterns, and then the patterns of the workloads. You know, so from a SQL Server specific perspective, if you're a VMware admin today, the database layer is sending a large packet size. So now. I need to ensure that my physical network can handle a large packet size, so MTU 8000. <clears throat> my VM layer, I need to make sure that I've accommodated this end-to-end. -end. Database layer, it's, there's a setting inside SQL Server to adjust the payload size. Windows, same exact thing. So understanding these pieces, really both sides of the VM layer, how the, the VM is interacting with the network at the hypervisor and how the traffic is leaving the hypervisor to get to somewhere else. Those are big. So it sounds like, and, and what I'm trying to do here is to whittle down 
you know, it goes back to that earlier comment I made about, you know, I think saying, oh, I aspire to be a full stack engineer, somebody who's very, very familiar with sort of the full, you know, the full stack, right? All of these are different areas, whether it be networking or storage or operating system or application or virtualization layer or even physical layer. And I, and I, I said, that's an aspirational goal, but just because there's so much knowledge required there and everything changes so quickly, I don't know that anyone can be effective um, in all of those areas at the same time. So trying to whittle that down into something more manageable for listeners to say, okay, I, I, I think, you know, we have done a reasonably good job of, of demonstrating that having some knowledge in these adjacent areas is going to be beneficial, right? So if you are a DBA, understanding how your platform interacts with storage is helpful because it affects how your database interacts with storage, right? Or understanding how uh, payloads are sent across the network from your database server to the applications or middleware platforms that are accessing the database helps you because you can increase capacity, increase performance, whatever the case may be. I mean, is there a hard and fast rule? I'm sure you can provide one for SQL Server in particular, but is there a hard and fast rule or a guideline that we could come up with for listeners to say, if I'm in, you know, X, you know, then Y, Z, and W are my related areas, my adjacent areas, right? I mean, is it, is it as simple as that? Or is it, do you think it's going to be far too dependent on every person's individual situation? Well, I, I tend to change the question a little bit. So given role X, just step back and listen. What's the most common pain point that you've got? So as a DBA, you're always fighting with the VM admins over CPU, memory, storage latency. So if you take any one of those areas, what do I need to do as a DBA to understand what's underneath my data so that I can figure out how to talk to the people responsible for those areas to either get more information on what's going on or be able to instruct them in their own terminology what needs to be done to make my world better to cut down those pain points. You know, that's, that's kind of the direction I tend to go in. Uh, you know, so I can, I can tune for tuning's sake, but I'm tuning and I'm learning these other areas because I want to make my area better and I want to grow as a professional. And if I can apply those to these other components around what I'm doing, then my piece gets stronger. From that viewpoint, then if I'm a, if I'm a virtualization admin or I'm a networking professional or I'm a security professional, right? Um, then I should be asking myself, okay, what are, what are the areas in which, what, what, are the, what are the pain points? What are the problems that I am trying to solve in my current role? Um, and if I'm, say, a, you know, a vSphere admin or, you know, a cloud admin, whatever the case may be, then I'm going to be talking about, you know, utilization. I'm going to be talking about capacity. I'm going to be talking about, um, you know, probably automation in terms of, you know, making it easier to provision and deprovision and decommission. Um, and, and so what you're suggesting is that, you know, you look at those pain points and then let that drive the adjacent areas that, that the person explores in order to make them more effective at that core skill. Exactly. Yeah. You mentioned automation and that's a big one, especially within cloud world, uh, you know, setting up 
tearing down and simply doing basic monitoring of a lot of the different components around a database and the, the ecosystem around it, it's time consuming. You set up a failover cluster or a, an availability group for improved HA, monitoring DR strategies for this sort of thing. It's tough. And quite frankly, if I have to click through it a couple of times, I'm wasting my time after that because I can automate this stuff. Um, so building out an automation strategy, not only to help yourselves, but to streamline everything, reduce error, reduce the human factor with all of this and just speed it up. You know, I want IT to move at the speed of business, not be constantly held back. <laughs> I'm I'm personally of the opinion that automation is adjacent to everything. <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah, I mean, basically, you know, regardless of what IT discipline you're in these days, whether it's a DBA, whether it's a virtualization admin, whether it's a sysadmin of a, you know, Unix Linux uh, box, whether it's, you know, desktop support, right? That you should be looking for ways to embrace automation in your role um, in order to make yourself more effective. I, I've, I've given presentations at user group meetings and all that. And I, I always like to play a little joke on the audience and, and I'll ask them, okay, who in here is being asked to do less with more? And, and they, and, you know, a lot of people raise their hands because they're they're They didn't quite catch that. I switched up the more and less there. Right. But the, <laughs> the, the, the reality is that we're all being asked to do more with less. Like our boss doesn't come to us and say, Hey, by the way, I've doubled your headcount for this year. So, you know, have fun with that. Right. It, it just doesn't happen, <laughs> no. right? Um, and so the only way we can be more effective is to make ourselves more efficient and reduce the amount of time it takes us to do things, reduce the amount of error or variance in the things that we do. And the number one way to accomplish that is automation. So I, you know, you don't have to like tell me that you think automation is important. You're preaching to the choir right there. <laughs> well, the, you use the right word, in my opinion, efficiency. <clears throat> efficiency drives everything else. Efficiency drives scalability, uh, stability, you know, lack of having to go back and redo work. And quite frankly, it, it drives performance. You know, me, I can get more done. I can build systems that are faster to the end user if they're more efficient in how they're used. And, uh, you know, just that, that word is just something that drives pretty much everything that I do, both professionally and personally. Yeah, that's fair. I would, I would, I think efficiency is a, is a fair term to use there. Um, but I, I caution against productivity. I think that I don't want to, I don't want to derail this into a different conversation, but like so many people get wrapped up on that axle and then end up never getting anything done. Right. And I, I don't think that's very efficient. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think efficiency is a good way of looking at that. And if we, if we think of efficiency as, you know, how much you're getting out of uh, something versus the potential of getting out of something and driving that number higher, right? Then that's that's probably a fair way of looking at it. That's the way I look at it, right there. And yeah, you can devolve quickly with this one, but the, but yeah, it's, it's it's give me the most that I can do with what I've got to work with. Aiding your journey to becoming a full stack engineer is full stack journey sponsor IT Pro TV. Going full stack is partly about career growth, right? And online IT training from IT Pro TV that can help you grow. And they can help you, the savvy Full Stack Journey listener, grow at a 30% discount off of all IT Pro TV plans. More on that in a minute. A recent MIT study found that IT occupations have grown by 19.5% between 2004 and 2019. Compared to other jobs, that's more than eight times the growth over the past decade. That's right, earnings have grown significantly for individuals working in IT. So if you're in IT, you've picked the right gig. But don't set your career on cruise control thinking, eh, it's all good. Change is the norm as evidenced by the full stack movement, right? And to keep earning that big paycheck, you need to keep your skills up. 
IT Pro TV has you covered from CompTIA and Cisco to EC Council and Microsoft and many more vendors, more than 4,000 hours of on-demand training. Engaging hosts present information in a talk show format and they're live every day and shows go from that live studio to the web in 24 hours so that you can stream them. Courses are conveniently listed by category, certification, and job role, and you can stream those courses live and on-demand worldwide via Chromecast, Roku, Apple TV, PC, or their iOS or Android apps. Learn IT, pass your certs, and land that fancy new full-stack job you've had your eye on with IT Pro TV. Visit itpro.tv slash full for a seven-day free trial and 30% off all plans. Use promo code full at checkout. That's itpro.tv slash full and use promo code full at checkout. One more time, itpro.tv slash full and use promo code full at checkout to try it free for seven days and save 30% off all plans. And now back to today's discussion. All right, so let's transition just a bit. Um, you know, I think it's it's it should be fairly clear at this point that, you know, there is... Uh, Definitely value to be had in people in, in specific IT disciplines, you know, whether that be software development or networking or storage, you know, one, one of the operations focus side or the software development focus side doesn't really matter, whether it's security. Um, there's, there's definitely some benefit to be had in sort of exploring these adjacent areas. And if we, we take the approach you suggested and sort of ask, hey, what what are the problems that I'm trying to solve or the pain points that I'm trying to fix to let that drive us into the adjacent areas, like to help us use, to use that to help us identify what adjacent areas we need to go. Then the next question becomes, okay, how far or how deep or how much of that adjacent discipline do I need to learn? Do I need to be an expert in that adjacent discipline or do I need to be proficient? And, and how do we define proficiency? That's a really good question. And to me, it's they, I've got a lot of open-ended answers with this one. I, I think the question there is, how far do you want to go with it? How far will your job let you go with this? A lot of times these organizations are very siloed, so you can go you know, a fair depth into these other areas. But in order to go deep, deep, deep into it, they may not let you unless your job role explicitly defines that. That doesn't mean it should stop you. But you know, if if you don't have direct access to certain things, if you don't quite frankly have the deep interest in it, you know, you can know enough to be able to instruct other folks to go do what you need without you having to know the nuts and bolts. It's like me personally, I can program. Do I enjoy it? No way. I program out a necessity to build tools to make my life easier. A lot of automation, a lot of telemetry monitoring, things like that. Do I enjoy it? No way. <laughs> it's just not me. Um, so the question there is, you know, how far do you really want to go with it? To me, the proficiency side means I'm able to convey what I need done or reviewed or checked out to somebody else who's deeper in that area in terms that they understand so I don't have to, to spend a lot of time and repeat myself and I can comprehend what they're delivering to me. Okay. So I don't, I don't disagree. I think a lot is going to be driven by your organization. Uh, just out of necessity, your employer, right? If you work in an organization that is heavily siloed, then you are going to be somewhat constrained in what you're able to do. Um, I know I've had a lot of guests on the show talking about how how do we go about fostering cross-silo interactivity and communications? How do we go about 
breaking down the silos, so to speak. I think all of those conversations still apply here. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is a good way to help foster some of those discussions, you know, saying to the, to the networking team, Hey, come over here with us on the, you know, virtualization uh, side and understand what we're doing uh, with hypervisors so that you can be better informed about how that affects your network configuration or, you know, vice versa. Um, same goes for, you know, DBAs talking to the vSphere admins or, you know, DBAs talking to the network professionals or, you know, security folks talking to application, uh, you know, line of business owners, et cetera, et cetera. The, the idea of proficiency, uh, you know, you described it as how can I convey, and hopefully I'll get this right. How can I convey information to someone else in a way that they can understand? And I think that's, that's fair. Uh, let, let's get practical for a minute. Somebody wants to pick up one of these adjacent disciplines. How, how do they get started? It, it's, it's always tough getting started. So, so based on your own experience, um, which again, you know, we know it's, it's SQL centric cause that's, that's your area of specialty, but I mean, how did you get started picking up one of these adjacent disciplines? It's a really good question. So um, I started life as a system administrator and I had to manage a couple of SQL servers and this was late nineties. Uh, it was one of those, I just wanted to know more about it. I wanted to know why did a server level backup not cover a database level backup properly. So quite honestly, what I did, uh, I went and found an old server that somebody was throwing out and parked it in my house and turned it on. And it made a lot of noise and drew a lot of power. And I was able to install the SQL server a long time ago and broke it almost day one <laughs> and then fixed it and broke it again and fixed it and broke it again. And after a while, got pretty, pretty familiar with it. Uh, you know, so let's just take a, a modern example today. Let's say we've got a, a VMware admin or a you know, virtualization admin of any kind that is genuinely curious about a database server. So take a VM on a, a laptop. It doesn't have to be anything big or fancy or crazy or expensive. You know, take a VM on a, a laptop or a desktop copy a Windows Server from MSDN on there or Linux, uh, install a copy of SQL Server Developer Edition, completely free, perfectly legit. There's a handful of workload generators out there like DVD Store or HammerDB or any other good benchmarking tool out there. And you can simulate traffic against the database and then literally expand out everything you can find inside the database layer and just start looking at it. Look at the table design, look at the queries, fire up a profiler or some other mechanism to go see the commands actually being executed against it. What are these doing? What's it drawing? You know, what, why did they do it this way? Why is it pulling data back? Where's it going? Uh, and start to get a good sense, you know, just how do I back this up? How do I make sure this is highly available? How can I break it? What happens when I need to fix it? <laughs> you know, you can, you can do a lot on really just a, a low end laptop with a, a copy of a VM or Docker, however you want to do it on there. That's a great, a great suggestion. I mean, it's, it's certainly uh, an approach that I've used in my, my career. Uh, you know, hands-on learning often is the best way to become familiar with something. And then you can supplement that with other materials, whether those are, you know, video training courses or books or instructor led, you know, in person, hopefully, you know, the world will get back to that at some point. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that's, I think that's fair. And, and, and if we're honest, right, you know, like the kind of horsepower that are in today's laptops is, you know, more than sufficient to run something like that just for exactly. exploratory purposes. Right. I mean, I've talked to folks who are running, you know, entire vSphere labs on their laptop with multiple hypervisors and vCenter and everything else. So 
you know, there's room for a, for a, a database if that's what you're interested in, or, you know, for, for networking folks, there's all kinds of networking simulators out there. You know, GNS3 used to be a big one back in the day. I don't know if it still is, um, but there were plenty of ways to begin to build networking topologies, right? So if you're interested in learning more about networking, how this stuff works, there's ways to do that. Um, you know, if you're interested in learning more about distributed systems like Kubernetes, right, there's plenty of ways to do that. Um, so it sounds like hands-on learning is the way to go. And then that, that mark or that, that, that point at which you say, okay, I, you know, I've gone far enough is partially determined by your interest in that. Like, okay, does this really fascinate you? Because you might be able to make some, somewhat something of a career transition and go from where you were into this new space. Mm-hmm. Or um, if you're like, okay, I know enough to, to, you know, that's, that's kind of, I've gotten what I need and now I'm, I'm done, you know, then you can pull back and begin to explore these other areas and then build, you know, this really nice portfolio of all these supporting technologies and, and, and portions of the stack that support your core proficiency. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, all it takes is the desire to learn one of these areas. The, the technology is virtually free at this point. You know, you've got to, you know, like you said, laptops today, even the basic laptops are more than sufficient to fire up a, a small database, fire up a workload generator and play with it. You know, if you really want to go crazy, do what I do. I mean, I've got refurbished equipment that I bought off of eBay uh, acting like a space heater in my basement. I turn most of it on when I need it, uh, turn it off when I don't. And you can pick up a machine with a couple hundred gigs of RAM and you know, 12 cores for four or 500 bucks now, run it for three years and sell it for what you paid for it, you know, and that's, that's overkill for most folks. Yeah. Yeah. You got that right. Um, <laughs> I, I used to have my own space heaters in the basement as well, but when I, when I started focusing more on uh public cloud, I shut all that down. So. Oh yeah. And uh, half of my test lab is out in the cloud. Half is in the basement, partly just because of price. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. So speaking of cloud, um, you know, as we are, uh, sort of wrapping up the discussion. There's a lot more we could unpack, but just in the interest of not making this episode too terribly long. Um, you know, speaking of cloud, I mean, and and we, we've already talked a little bit about automation. Um, you know, clearly public cloud is a major aspect of this. Um, there's, a, there's a lot there. I mean, you know, every year, if we, even if we just take one of the major cloud providers, we, we pick on AWS. Every year they have their big event. They introduce, you know, a couple dozen new services, two or three dozen different changes to existing services. Um, you know, somebody could, could be a cloud specialist like just on their own and not even have to touch all the rest of these things. How does somebody whose focus is on networking or storage or DBAs begin to integrate those cloud services into their skill set? It's a really good question. Um, so this this goes back to my my drive on constant change. It's actually how I name my company. Uh, so Heraflux Technologies. Uh, you know that phrase, the only constant is change. Uh, it was coined by a Greek philosopher by the name of Heraclitus. Uh, so it's one of those things. Once you get to a base level of proficiency, it's not like these concepts are completely new and out of left field. The knowledge builds and grows, and you adapt the knowledge for the change that you see either on-prem or in the cloud. Uh, so you know, a lot of the automation concepts, is the syntax may change, where you click might change here and there between the different versions and platforms. The core concepts are very similar. You know, same thing with relational databases, same thing with operating systems, same thing with virtualization, and then cloud is just virtualization with some really good automation on top. You know, 
the knowledge builds. It's not like you have to go learn net news. So as you get proficient in these other areas, adapting to all the change that's coming and is already here with you know, public cloud and a lot of the new stuff being rolled out, you find you can adapt to the new stuff a whole lot quicker than you used to. Yeah. So it sounds like you know, what we should be focusing on is, is where, where possible, focus on the concepts first. Yeah. Master those concepts. And then you can begin to look at implementations of those concepts and the variations and differences those implementations bring with them. You know, so the concepts of a relational database management system are largely well understood. Um, and then you can go from there to understand, you know, the specific implementations for Microsoft SQL Server or MySQL or, um, you know, Amazon RDS or Aurora or, you know, whatever. Exactly. You know, the, the only thing that really is different between all these are the buzzwords. <laughs> you know, once you learn a core area sufficiently well, the adaptation to all the new stuff coming out, be it, you know, Amazon RDS or SQL Server on-prem or Azure Managed Instance, all these things, it's just an evolution. And you can adapt pretty quickly. You just got to get to that point. And it's literally just a frame of mind. It's, do you want to learn this? Okay, no excuses. You go learn it. And now you can adapt and you can grow. That's a really great point, that mention of evolution. Because I think, and I, and I find myself getting caught in this, in this way of thinking as well, is that these technologies are new and that you have to start from scratch. But in reality, there's almost always a a piece of existing knowledge to which you can connect that thing that you're learning right so if you're if you're coming from a, a you know a vmware vsphere background you know and you're saying oh i don't you know this aws stuff i don't know anything about it right you could begin to make some connections like okay an ec2 instances like a vsphere vm yeah okay you know yeah there are differences in the implementation there are differences in the operation of course right these are i'm not saying these things are identical but you can look at concepts you can look at abstractions and begin to make connections. And at that point, it's not, it's not new. It's just an evolution of what you already know, an extension of what you already know. Exactly. And some, you know, some evolutionary leaps take a little bit longer than others, but at the same time, it's all built off of something else. I mean, what is virtualization? It's, it's mainframes on commodity equipment. <laughs> you know, these things are cyclic. These things expand and grow and get better. Uh, and, you know, TLAs change occasionally, things like that. But it's all stuff that you can build upon. It's just a really good foundation. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So let's let's start to wrap up. I was wondering, after this discussion, which has been great, I think it's going to be very, very useful for, for listeners of the show. Um, did you have any sort of, you know, final closing thoughts? Any Anything that I haven't asked about that you're like, I really want to make sure that listeners know this? Biggest thing for me is don't be afraid to talk to other people in your organization or in the community or friends or whoever. If they know an area of technology that you're interested in exploring, approach them. Go talk to them. I promise you, if they're at all enthusiastic about the topic, they will go on for hours on how you can start to learn on this stuff. Uh, so if you're a VM admin, you want to learn uh, databases, great. The, the SQL Server community specifically is incredibly open and rewarding, and there's tons of people out there. So, you know, ping me, find anybody out there in an area that that you're interested in and they will go way out of their way to make sure that they get you ramped up as fast as they can and as far as you want to take it. 
and do not be afraid to reach out. This this technical networking is one of the soft skills that I always push on people because that is as powerful as the knowledge itself. These people can help you ramp up quicker so you don't have to you know, stumble through a lot of this stuff as you're trying to, to self-educate. They can help you get there. Yeah, that's a, that's a great recommendation. You know, as Think about it this way, you know, listeners, like as passionate as you are about your core focus area, you know, whether that be managing a virtualization farm or, you know, rolling out Linux instances on AWS or automating all of that with some sort of automation tool or, you know, writing code in, in Go, whatever that is, you know, as passionate as you are, there are lots of other people who are passionate about these other areas that you're interested in. And, you know, just like you like to go on about, oh, this cool thing that I just learned, you know, more than likely they're going to like to go on about that too. So that's yeah. a great way to not only break down the silos within your organization or within your community, but also to learn a lot about, you know, this other area that you're interested in and possibly be able to share, you know, some of what you know with this other individual um, that may help them as well. Exactly, exactly. And you get professional networks, you get more knowledge and you make uh, lifelong friends out of it. You, you can't lose. Absolutely. Win, win, win. All right. Well, thanks uh, so much, David, for uh, for coming on the show. Before we close, I wonder, um, would you just uh, repeat for listeners sort of contact information since you did offer, you know, to have people reach out to you? Yeah. Let's remind them again where they can find you on the interwebs. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the easiest spot is on Twitter. I am kind of a nerd. So uh, my handle on there is Klee Geek. Uh, I have a home blog over at davidklee.net with a contact me form out there. If you're interested professionally, you can also find me over at heraflux.com. Um, I'm on Instagram if you like random food photos. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, those are the best ways to get in touch with me. And again, feel free, ping me at any time. I don't really sleep very much. So I'm happy to answer questions at any time. Awesome. Thanks so much, David. Listeners, you heard it. You're looking for some SQL expertise or just want to learn a little bit more than uh, ping David and uh, he can help you understand where to get started. I want to thank listeners again for joining us for the show. I hope that you have found the show helpful. We do always appreciate any feedback or any reviews. So if you have uh, found us on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or any one of a number of uh, other podcast platforms, we're pretty much everywhere, then we'd certainly appreciate you to uh, let us know how we're doing, provide some feedback and uh, you know, if you like the show, uh, please recommend it, you know, make a recommendation to others so they can help uh, find the show as well. And uh, we can uh, grow our uh, listening audience and hopefully we can connect folks with uh, knowledge that they'll find useful. Thanks again for taking time out of your morning, afternoon, or evening. And uh, we'll catch you online. If you're interested in uh, catching up with me, uh, Scott, your host, um, I'm on Twitter as Scott underscore low, or you can hit the uh, podcast Twitter handle at FSJ Podcast. Thanks for listening.